Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's a hundred percent acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer and that's what we're here to do talk about beer Hailing from Western Australia, Rocky Ridge Brewing has made the news recently after winning a national award, the Promoting Sustainability Award for WA in the Telstra Best of Business Awards 2022. Rocky Ridge was founded by Hamish Coates, Mel Holland and Colin Coates and is located on farming land in Jindong, home of traditional custodians, the Wandandi people. In a big milestone, uh, Rocky Ridge is also celebrating its fifth birthday this April. Um, They're planning on dropping five collab beers with some really prolific Australian breweries and one international. So that'll be Range, Mountain Culture, Deeds, Banks and Against the Grain, which I believe is in Louisville in Kentucky. Um, But a big milestone for a brewery in regional WA. Today, I've got with me uh, Hamish and Ricky Watt to discuss all things sustainability, growth and WA. Uh, So thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us. No worries. Obviously, congrats on a huge milestone. How is everyone feeling about it? That was unreal. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? Shocked. Yeah. It was, um, it was great recognition for all the effort the team's been putting in over the last few years. Um, we've had a real drive towards sustainability and being the best that we can possibly be in, in that category in Australia. And um, it's it's awesome to, to see everyone get a real of that hard work. It's, um, it's a huge... Huge feather in the cap for for everyone, and you know. Yeah, it kind of comes at a really interesting time for Rocky Ridge. Um, I think we spoke last year, didn't we, about your expansion plans, aiming for three million liters a year. How's everything gone with those expansion plans? Yeah, really well. A few hiccups along the way. Obviously, um, there was a few curveballs thrown last year with materials availability and long lead times and shipping and. Uh, expenses going through the roof for a lot of the, um, the projects we had underway um, but for the most part we're there um, we're still yet to connect a couple of tanks up uh, waiting on a little bit more steel to get there so we can finish building the building for our ferment farm um, so we've kind of hooked everything up temporarily in, in lieu of being able to put them in permanently and kind of made it all work the best we can mm-hmm. uh, but overall it's been been really good I think we spoke about a couple of the initiatives we had ongoing at the time around wastewater that, that one's been pushed back pretty dramatically unfortunately due to huge lead times for some of the filtration gear that we're waiting on um, but finally we're looking at that that plant coming in um, in next month so that's really cool um, and yeah that's that's been been good a bit mixed (laughs) (laughs) as to be expected i guess so yeah so let's let's dip our toe into sustainability uh, and carbon neutral in particular um so talk me through the process what have you wanted to cover with your sustainability angle having looked into it there is just so many different ways you can attack it like how where do you even start how do you start that uh, one bite at a time. It's, it's, a, it's a huge process and it's a huge undertaking. Um, in all seriousness, there's so many different facets to, to sustainability. It's not just about your carbon emissions. It's about your water usage. It's about your, your landfill waste. It's about how you avoid plastics. It's about how you make sure that everything that you're doing has a better impact on the lives of everybody tomorrow and everybody around you. So I guess for us, we, we concentrate on a few key areas, um, one of them being using solar energy. So we've got a a great big uh, off-grid solar system that powers the brewery. Um, So we don't have any any, uh, grid power at all running our entire system. We've concentrated massively on water. So I think we touched on wastewater last time I was speaking to you. We've, we've invested a lot in reducing our wastewater and our, our water usage, but also we're just on the cusp of installing our wastewater treatment plant, which will allow us to bring that water back to a reusable standard inside the brewery, which is pretty common practice in, in really large breweries, but not so much on breweries of our scale. So we're pretty excited about getting that off the ground. Um, should get us down to between two and a half and two point eight liters per liter of beer produced, which is which is up there with some of the best in the world. 
Yeah, yeah. I've only ever heard that at massive breweries, like you say, you know, that's they're usually the ones with the resources to be able to knock it down to that kind of level. But yeah, really interesting. So just on the um, solar energy bit, so you know you don't take anything yep. from the grid, but do you send it yep. back to the grid? Do you get no, so we don't yeah. actually have a grid connection. So we, oh, we, okay. we have it fairly carefully balanced with the amount of power that we require. So we have mm-hmm. got a fairly substantial battery bank on site now that, that stores. It, it, it During summer is enough to get us through 24 hours a day. During winter, it's not enough to get us through at the moment. So we're working on that and working on a few different uh, solutions to power generation on site. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have a backup generator there just to get us through the, those yeah. tricky spots because we don't want our ferments getting too hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that is the tricky one because as much as we want to look at uh, – things like solar there are always going to be downsides and you I guess you've just got to weigh up whether that downside is worth the benefits you get from it and the move towards sustainability whether that's what you really want Uh, and I know people do grapple with that like what how do we do this um so yeah so tell me um you you've gone carbon neutral um with carbon neutral Australia is that right Correct. Yeah. So we we pay for Carbon Neutral Australia basically to do an assessment on uh, brewery yearly, um, which encompasses our scope one, scope two and scope three emissions. Um, So I guess just a quick, clear dive into that. Yeah, Yeah. so basically scope one covers emissions that we make directly. So basically running a boiler or running vehicles, staff movement to and fro, uh, sales guys out on the road. Um, that's that's basically our scope one emissions. Our scope two emissions cover emissions that we make indirectly. So, for example, the emissions that would be produced by energy providers making LPG for a boiler or, um, I guess, the, the energy emissions for diesel that runs our generator. They're, that's a scope two emissions. And then there's scope three, which is, which is pretty intense and, and gets very convoluted very quickly, which covers basically all associated emissions with not just ourselves, but... Um, those that we're indirectly responsible for up and down the value chain, which includes raw ingredients, um, suppliers, all of the transport to and from the brewing, the life cycle packaging, um, where the beers are consumed, waste produced during manufacturing, emissions associated. Um, it's it's huge. So the scope three is actually the majority of uh, emissions as a brewery. So to take last year's, for example, our scope one was about 30% of, of the overall emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the thing that we're doing that's a little bit unique to a lot of other businesses is that we're actually covering our scope one, two, and three emissions. So we're basically covering the emissions of CO2 from raw ingredient procurement. So from the time that barley is put in the ground and the tractors start rolling across the paddock all the way through to We've done measurement to the bottle shop. It's a bit more tricky to get measurement from bottle shop to home. Um, we can't really, uh, we can't put Yeah, it would be pure guesstimation. Analysis on that. Yeah. Exactly. There's no, there's nothing quantitative there that we can actually measure, um, but we can measure to bottle shops because we know who our customers are. Mm-hmm. So we, we're basically covering and offsetting the full quantity of scope one, two, and three emissions on all of our products, which makes us yeah, 100% carbon neutral across our entire chain. Yeah, that's amazing work. Because like you say, it's really difficult. And uh, I've just recently done a bit of like an intro article into being carbon neutral. Um, And we looked at like the different uh, certifiers, for instance, Climate Active and South Pole. I think Moondog and Matilda Bay went with them respectively. Why did you go with Carbon Neutral Australia? How do you even decide who helps you certify? Um, so Carbon Neutral Australia, we actually had an introduction to from one of our farm advisors. Um, so there was a there was a pre-existing connection there and it was a logical choice for us to go with somebody who's based in Western Australia and does the, the majority of their carbon offsetting here in Western Australia as well. Um, so it's actually a really local project and it's very close to home for us. Um, we can actually see tangibly the results of, of everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do the majority of their planting through the Yarra Yarra Biodiversity Project, which is a, a large-scale revegetation project, um, which essentially is targeting improving degraded, what, degraded agricultural land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really close to home for us. It's... It's, a, to be honest, a little bit more costly doing it onshore and locally, but it has a far greater impact because we can we can be there, we can see it, and, and it's, it's helping to assist our local community. Brilliant. And one thing that struck me when I was sort of researching that article is, is like a very 
top line type of article was that with a few of these certifiers cert- certification processes you kind of decide your own emissions boundaries is that how it works yeah. with carbon neutral australia as well how did you decide those boundaries definitely well we decided that we wanted to do it properly and do it from from basically grain to to end consumer in a glass. So that, that's part of the reason we chose to cover our scope one, two, and three emissions mm-hmm. rather than just our own manufacturing emissions. Because, okay. um, I mean, ultimately, we want our own manufacturing emissions to be net zero. So we don't want to have any carbon impact at all uh, for our scope one, which is everything that's directly related to us producing beer. And then we will continue to mitigate our scope two and three through offsetting. Um, it allows us to really hone down what we need to concentrate on. And like I say, that, that scope one gives us a... a a great area to start. So, for instance, um, fermentation obviously creates a hell of a lot of CO2. Mm-hmm. So, we're working with a, with a um, manufacturer called Dalham Industries. Um, they're based over in Europe. And basically, they've got small-scale CO2 reclaim technology for brewers. There's another similar one in the US. But um, basically, these guys have created one that's that's quite economical. Um, so, that's, that's getting imported at the moment. Again, lots of supply chain issues at the mm-hmm. moment trying to get things in. But... Um, but that will basically allow us to recapture 74 tonnes of CO2 a year that's directly emitted just, just in the brewing process. Um, now, we only use about 50 tonnes a year, so we're actually going to be... <laughs> we're going to have a problem of stored carbon that we're going to have to do something with. So we're, we're, we're looking at different solutions to that, one of them being um, something similar to Young Henry's algae project. Oh, so looking, yeah. Can we, can we create something of value to... Again, we're farm-based, so we've got cattle on the farm. So if we can create something that's valuable as a feedstock for for our animals, then that's fantastic. It's a win-win-win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I know that's been a big issue because obviously people get frustrated the fact that they're obviously emitting so much CO2, but then they also need to buy it back in. It just seems to be counterproductive. Um, So that's obviously why things like the Algae Project happen and what what you guys are doing. It it can be really difficult, though. Like, what do you do with that? Especially because, I mean, I don't know, is it considered to be like food grade CO2? Is that had to be a consideration? Definitely. So the the CO2 created from fermentation is actually about the cleanest CO2 that you're going to find. Um, despite, I mean, you have to strip moisture out of it, but other than that, um, most other CO2s created through industrial processes, which can have contaminants in them, where yeast is actually beautiful because it's a biological process. So we, we end up with very clean CO2 coming out of these fermentations, and then it's really just stripping out any moisture that might be in the lines from it. Um, so that's about the okay. process. Interesting. And do you have to get it tested? How do you get that tested? Um, so we can actually do that on site. We can test the purity oh, of CO2. Just a couple of little metres. Yeah, that's not, yeah. not Oh, that's not a problem. Okay. Oh, cool. No. Very interesting. Yeah, because there are so many breweries out there trying to do things like this. Um, and just to see, like, the ins and outs and, and the technical details that just pop into your brain um, about these issues, you know, that it is possible to do this uh, even when you are a smaller brewery. I think that that's the key thing that, that's come out of this for me. Now, we've already talked a little bit about water, um, but tell me more about the water thing and, and upcycling uh, treated wastewater what do you do with that yeah so basically at the moment all of our water is self-contained on site so we we either use rainwater or water from uh, wells and bores mm-hmm. it's fairly heavily filtered and then it goes through the brewing process um, at the end of that we um, installed a it's basically a, a belt filter that pulls all of the solids out of the water and ends up with a, a fairly low BOD and COD um, content. Now, BOD and COD are the primary things that we have to deal with as brewers in our wastewater. They, they cause havoc with most wastewater treatment plants. There are a few other bits and pieces in there, but those two are the predominant issues. Okay. So from there goes through is just a simple aerobic and anaerobic phase, and we end up with actually pretty pretty clean water at the end of that. Now, that at that point is irrigatable, um, so it can get pushed straight back onto the land to grow crops um, and infiltrate back into the water table. The third step that we're going for at the moment, though, and what we're waiting on, on inputs for is to be able to bring that water back to essentially a, a drinkable standard. The, the health department won't allow us to, to use it for anything other than wash down water. So basically that involves an ultrafiltration process, not dissimilar to reverse osmosis, but not quite as intense. Oh, um, okay. so it, it strips it back to a very clean level, but there'll still be a little bit in there. Um, UV filtration then takes care of any bugs that may be present. And we have washdown water. 
Fantastic. Oh, that's see, that's this is just brilliant. This is exactly what it is. There's so many, like we say, there's so many aspects um, of dealing with waste and looking at reducing water usage and looking at your carbon emissions and this and that and this and that. So it's it's absolutely crazy that you've managed to sort of see all these little angles of it and deal with it effectively because there will always be a loose end um is there anything that you wanted to do but that you couldn't i know the filtration thing's been slowed down but is there anything you couldn't do but was on the list look there's bits and pieces that we we really want to deal with better on site so for instance uh, our energy uh, while solar is fantastic and batteries are great the technology is still not quite there to be able to to take things to the next level for us so we're actually looking into small scale biodigestion on site to create methane which would allow us to pull our boiler completely off the grid and it would allow us to also um, have a small generator that could basically produce power heat and power for us um, there's a couple of different avenues that we're looking at with that um, doing a lot of different feasibilities on it because we're not quite big enough to make these investments justified. So it's a, it's a bit of a, we're in a kind of gray area of we're, we're too big for existing small technology, but we're not big enough for large scale. Um, so it's a, <laughs> a tricky it's situation to be in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's frustrating. Yeah. yeah. It's frustrating. And it's just finding the right people to work with who are willing to sort of take that mm-hmm. and, and work on that middle sized technology that's not really proven. So mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one that's a, a bit of a thorn in my side at the moment because I'd really like to get that sorted and I'd really love to get that up off the ground because it, it'll be an absolutely huge win for us. And it's also, again, it becomes a test case to show that, you know, as a mid-sized brewery, you can you can do this and mm-hmm. it's, it's actually economically feasible. That's that's the big part of it. Everything's got to be economically feasible because otherwise it's never going to get wide-scale adoption. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you've obviously got to think about a return on investment. You know, there's sometimes going to be things you're just going to have to accept or are going to be a loss. But then there are lots of other ways that um, it offsets the cost of you doing a lot of these things, I imagine, as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and this is the thing. So with energy, energy is only getting more expensive. So if we if we can bring ourselves completely self-reliant for all energy, then then that's absolutely huge. Um, that's that's a big win for us for, from a longer term uh, strategy perspective. But it's also... It's, it's huge to be able to demonstrate again that, that that technology is actually feasible on this scale because, you know, suddenly if we can adopt it, then why can't everybody else adopt it? And if we can show that there is a return on investment there between two and three years, then suddenly that makes it very achievable for, for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's, that's the case that people are like, oh, this is just not achievable for me, I'm too small a brewery, like there's no point in even looking into this. Do you think there's a little bit of that sort of mental, mental obstacle there as well? I think so, and I think there's also a lot of information out there that says you can't do it, um, rather than actually looking for a solution to the problem. And a, there are always solutions to these problems, and it's a matter of working out how to scale it in the right way to suit each circumstance. So I think I think that generally speaking, you can do it. It's just you've got to be willing to put the time, energy, and effort. And Ricky will attest the amount of time, energy, and effort that gets put into this. But yeah. it's it's. it's you've got to take that leap and you've got to be willing to put the hours into it. Now, what I hope is and what I hope as a brewery is, is that we can we can take all of these various learnings and we can go, right, this is what a package solution like this looks like and this is an indicative project cost for it. This is what a package solution that does this looks like and this is what an indicative project cost is. So we're developing really good relationships with the suppliers that we're working with so that hopefully we can have this overarching sustainability template that we can go, guys, pick and choose what you'd like to do. Each of these projects has a defined ROI on it. Each of these projects is is certified like it's going to work we know it's going to work because we're the test case for it yeah that's fascinating i was going to say having it from a clear goal from the get-go was definitely beneficial from us Mm -hmm. um whereas trying to i guess reverse engineer it once you're up and running would obviously create um a different set of i guess or different circumstance for uh, other breweries adopting the kind of methodology that we've had from the get-go but it's not to say it's not achievable mm-hmm. at all yeah yeah and it is a tricky one as well because you know we are as smaller breweries smaller medium breweries everyone's time poor and resource poor you you're basically especially during COVID a lot of people were just trying to keep their head above water rather than thinking about ways to progress their business or innovate or potentially engage in things that they've always wanted to do but yet like we say just not have time but you guys have found it achie- obviously achievable so good sign yeah definitely it's it look it, it's put a stress on everything at times and and i won't lie at times we do question our sanity with some of the things <laughs> that we're trying to undertake but 
but by the same token, it's the right thing to do. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we have the ability and, and we have the capability to, to actually make them happen. So we figure that if, if we don't do it, who's going to? So let, let's give it a crack and let's let's really push the boundaries of what we can do with sustainability and with, with clean green beer. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously this is coming from you guys. This is driven by you guys um, internally. Is it something that's always been the case from day one, from day dot, five years ago, this is something that you wanted to focus on and how much did you do you sort of tell consumers about this is this something that they care about as well um so that's an interesting one so from from day one we've had definitely a sustainability focus but it probably didn't get fine-tuned until uh, 18 18 months into the process i think is when we really identified it as a key area that we we all cared about and we all wanted to make a difference in so that that was a a team-based objective and something that we all sort of sat down and went we really think we can make a difference in this. We really think that we can be leaders in this area. And, and that's why we started to concentrate more and more on uh, more and more energy onto sustainability and brewing and, and onto, I guess, just unique and novel technologies that, that could be widely adopted. Um, in terms of the marketing side of things, I'll leave that one in Ricky's court, but I think we've been pretty poor at communicating what we do for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that is fine. <laughs> hey, I guess the, um, the, the change in um, approach came when we, because originally the brewery was, and thankfully I, I can say that I've been there since day one, the, um, the original approach was a, a ground to glass um, brewery. So everything was grown on site and we kind of quickly realised that we wouldn't have the raw ingredients to um, be able to supply beer year round. So that with that came that, I guess, the adopting of new a new approach and a new ethos in terms of sustainability um, rather than focus all our energy on getting beers out from in a ground to glass method. We, we realized that we can kind of shift our, um, our ethos to be more in line with being completely off grid and sustainable. Mm-hmm. In and center. working with local suppliers as much as possible. Yeah. Instead. So it became more of a community focus, focus piece where, um, you know, we work with individual farmers around Western Australia now to supply us with various grains, also with various fruits. We love playing with fruit and beer. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty nice when you can go to someone and say, you know, all that seconds and thirds fruit that you're going to throw out or throw in landfill. We'll take that because we can we can uh, blitz it all up, heat treat it, and we can put it into a fennel. So mm-hmm. that's that's always been a nice little sideline to the, the shift away from growing on site is the, the ability to support local farmers in our community. And we're in a pretty decent food bowl of uh, a pocket of the world where that we got access to some amazing seconds fruit, which has been a massive blessing um, yeah. to be able to put that into beer. That's great. That brings me very nicely, completely unplanned, onto um, talking about being a Western Australian brewery. I spoke to um, the team at Moobrew uh, in Tasmania a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was really fascinating um, the differences between states and the specific issues that breweries have in each state and. The challenges but also the benefits of being in that state obviously you guys have mentioned um proximity to some amazing local produce but it was really prevalent when we were compiling our recent states of brewing report as well uh so what are some issues that you guys are facing as wa brewers i know we talked briefly um before we went on air um about this sort of delayed COVID thing so how wide-ranging is it what is it like to be a wa brewer so i guess i can talk from the the brewing side of things Mm. Um, in terms of the Logistics. Logistics is really difficult from where we are down in the southwest. We're only two and a half hours away from Perth, but two and a half hours of freight is still two and a half hours of freight, particularly for a brewery that's trying to be uh, as sustainably minded as possible, trying to consolidate logistics into single shipments so that they get to us with the least impact possible rather than partial shipments is a, is a huge, huge logistical problem for us. Um, I guess access to market then also becomes the, the second one. Um, so we do have a concentration definitely on our local postcode and, and sort of distribution within a couple hundred kilometres of where we are. But obviously Western Australia has a very disparate population with centres stretching across a very vast part, portion of the planet. So um, it's, it can be challenging at times. And I mean, you wouldn't see very many of our beers on the East Coast simply because it doesn't fit with who we are as a brewery sending too much beer over there because ultimately it's a, it's like we want to get some of our beers into everyone's hands, but it's a really, really difficult exercise to go through. It's a long, bloody way across the Nullarbor. And, you know, as a result of that, we actually send more beer to Singapore than we do to the East Coast because we can put it on a, on a ship, which is a far lesser environmental impact. It's, uh, it's far quicker. And to be honest, 
it seems to get there quicker. So um, <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> less difficulty. Yeah, that's it. But that's really yeah. interesting in itself. Um, you know, I think we think uh, in the industry in general, we want to focus on sustainability, but we also want to expand the business. Exporting is obviously one of the ways to do that, uh, but not necessarily the most sustainable option. So why why export? Um, it came from a different, a few different areas. Um, we were lucky enough to have a, a really close connection with um, a group in Singapore, um, Smith Street Taps, and, and particularly one of the guys who was there at the time, uh, Zhao Lang. He's now subsequently come on as, as our primary distributor under the watering hole banner. And, you know, we've been working really closely with him from the start. Now, the beautiful thing that we have with, with everything we do to Singapore is we have complete traceability from door to door um, to our customers there. So we can monitor and we can check exactly how long it's taking, how much cold storage is involved, how far the freight is. And in all honesty, it's very dissimilar to, let's say it's very similar to sending um, beers to the East Coast. There's very, in fact, there's a negligible difference in, in wow. terms of the footprint. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. I mean, geographically speaking, it's really not any further. This mm-hmm. is the thing, because it's, it's, it's actually quite close. But by putting it on a ship with another 10,000 sea containers, the, the footprint on that shipping is very, very low in comparison to putting a container on a train that only has a couple of hundred containers on it mm-hmm. or putting it on a truck. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of economies, I guess, in that scale of sending it overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, that combined with, um, yeah, yeah, basically having that full traceability is really, really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, that transparency yeah. bit is really interesting, actually. Um, I guess if you know these things about where you're, uh, beers are going and how it's getting there and what kind of emissions are going to be uh, as a result of that process that you can do something about it from your end because I assume then that the export bit is um, taken into account under your carbon neutral certification correct yeah. yes Lovely. yep so cool. all, all of our shipments all of our storage in Singapore and all of our deliveries in Singapore are all included as well as any wow. um, embodied cost of cakes that yeah that's amazing well. yeah you've gone in depth on this Hamish no cutting corners on this <laughs> does it <laughs> No, we wanted to do it properly, and this yeah. is the thing. Like, it's 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 not something that we wanted to to just half ass and go. You know, we've we've done this. It's like, no, we, if we're going to do it, let's do it properly, and let's really understand exactly what the environmental cost of every beer that we produce is, mm-hmm. and then work out how we can minimise and mitigate that the best we possibly can, mm-hmm. and then hopefully remove it in some areas. Um, yeah. now, we're never going to be able to remove it completely. We're, we might be. I mean, ultimately, beer is actually. A, something that is quite bad for the environment to make. We use a shitload of water, we use mm-hmm. a shitload of energy, we use a, a shitload of resources. So there's things that are directly in our control. We fix those. The ones that aren't directly in our control, well, I, I like what we do. I like the industry we're in. It's a hell of a lot of fun. So um, we're not going to change that. Um, but but we can do it in the best way we possibly can. Absolutely. Um, and following on from the export bit, so we spoke last year about Ace Brands. It's like your international craft beer brand distribution arm. Obviously, it'll be exporting um rocky ridge beers uh what what how's it going of what what was the plan has it always been the plan has it gone to plan um i'd say it hasn't gone to plan um <laughs> it was uh and at a to put it bluntly it was an expensive mistake it's something that we're we're working on improving at the moment there was, there was a lot of reasons behind it and, mm-hmm. and those reasons actually stacked up really well at the time. Um, and what we're doing is actually transitioning back to Rocky Ridge as a Rocky Ridge wholesaler and manufacturer. And then we still do some contract brewing for a couple of other brands as well. So that, that beer then splits out into that portfolio and, and can be um, dealt with on its own. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, long, long story short, um, lots of lessons learned. Oh, okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and anything in particular was it being in the middle of COVID? I imagine didn't help the situation either. COVID kind of brought about how Ace Brands and as a it brought it into existence, um, and then it became, I guess, our, our sole way of distributing any beers that came out of the brewery. Mm-hmm. I guess it just added an extra layer of. Um, made more complex to sell beer so we're kind of trying to simplify that and bring it back to a, a i guess a simpler model of of getting our beer out into the hands of people uh, and of punters and make sure they enjoy it yeah totally it, really interesting that one as well um and i'm glad you guys have been so honest about it and these things happen you know i think we don't talk about them enough that you know we try things and they can go wrong and 
you know, if we talk about why that is and, and the situation behind that, maybe we can help someone else to not make that mistake too. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see anyway. Fingers crossed. But one thing that um, I really loved uh, about the Rocky Ridge story as well is not only a focus on sustainability, but also just the fact that it's so ingrained in WA. And I know that last year you guys got a grant uh, from the state government, which was awesome. And in our State to Brewing report, the WA government um, last year, we, we sort of um, figured out they basically de- delivered well over $3 million in grants to just to breweries. Um, so it obviously turned out, they obviously seem to be very supportive um, of breweries in WA. Have you found that in general? Look, the varying levels of government are obviously all interesting to deal with at times. Certainly we've had our, our fair share of run-ins with our local government and, and uh, I think just the lack of understanding of what exactly we're trying to achieve and the fact that we are constantly expanding and we don't just build once and then be done with it um, is a little bit different to a standard business model, I think, um, but that's just the way we, we go about it because as resource comes, you continue to do what you can do. In terms of the state government, they've been fantastic. Um, quite honestly, um, all of the state government departments that we've dealt with have been um, really easy to deal with. Um, they've been very supportive, particularly Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development, um, DPERT. They are, they're fantastic um, in terms of helping us to understand the grant opportunities that are available, um, just assisting with things like exporting, um, giving information around any new opportunities that may be arising and generally just being helping hands when and where required. Um, the um, the grant that we received was fantastic. And I mean, quite honestly, we wouldn't have done any of the expansions that we've done in the last 18 months if we hadn't have received that grant. And having that actually allowed us to have the confidence, I think, and, and have the confidence in knowing that the backing was there to make it all happen. And, and subsequently, we have made it happen, which is really cool. And we've continued on that pathway, um, obviously sales volumes of beer as well helped to facilitate that because if we didn't <laughs> much point but look uh, the state government have been absolutely fantastic um local government uh, there's plenty of great people in local government who do try to help the best they can but i think there's a lot of red tape there still particularly around manufacturing and manufacturing industries that they don't understand or are new um i guess they don't quite fit any of the matrices yet and don't quite fit any of the um any of the parameters yet that's, that's, uh, <laughs> yes we've seen that in a lot of other states as well yeah where, where they think that you're like either the forex brewery or an abattoir or a nightclub and there's like no in between apparently yeah and that that's the most frustrating thing we don't fit the matrix so there and we don't like, we, they're just like well you have to comply with that and you're like well hang on a second that's ridiculous like you know where we are on the farm we're two and a half kilometers from our nearest neighbor so yeah noise is not an issue even <laughs> like you know, smells not an issue nothing there's not really anything that's an issue out there other than we need to make sure that we do the thing, right thing with water which comes under department of water and environmental regulation not under our local council so yeah. you know we're dealing with the state on a lot of levels that that are and again i have to say the state government for the most part are really good to deal with yeah that's it's probably um worth mentioning the the southwest brewers alliance the recently formed yeah. southwest brewers alliance yeah, as well yeah. which is great um that kind of pooling of collective to um help facilitate the applications for those grants as well mm-hmm. um and yeah i guess the pooling of resources and having a having a lot of um a lot of knowledgeable heads in one room has definitely helped yeah and the the sale Bros Alliance was fantastic when I was doing the report as well. I was like, can you can you tell me about this? What do all of your members think about this? And they were like, right, well, this, this and this. And I was like, yes, perfect. So they were absolutely spot on for that as well. Um, and obviously you guys are part of the WA Brewers Association, I believe. You guys were um, involved in the Drink West, Drink Best mixed cartons and things like that. Um, so you, you clearly think it's important to have a, a local membership uh, lobbying organization. Why do you think that? A sense of community, for one, is a big part of what we do. So being able to, you know, communicate directly with um, other breweries on a lot of different um, subjects, a lot of different areas is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, obviously, being, again, being able to kind of pull resources is definitely a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just, I get, like, we're very blessed to be in Western Australia, which is a very has always been a very, I guess, beer-centric state. Um, you know, <laughs> the, 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 founding, the founding craft beer mothers and fathers of the industry a lot of these have come out of um come out of wa as well so for that reason alone i mean um it's definitely worth being involved and obviously our um, isolation as a state and then furthermore being you know 
in the southwest um having both being part of both of those yeah. groups is yeah has multiple benefits mm-hmm. as well as being a part of the iba as well i think it's, oh, it's yeah. important to be aware that every every different level of organization and you know for instance the iba is primarily focused on on national issues and mm-hmm. obviously um campaigning and doing a fantastic job of that with with members of parliament to drive change and things like excise um, and just overarching change in the industry which is fantastic western australia the west australian brewers association we have who are primarily focused with um, issues that that are at a state level so things like licensing which they can drive change in um, liquor licensing um, and also then working with state departments like Department of Water Environmental Regulation to make sure that there's clear frameworks for all of us to work with. And then we go to that sort of micro level where Southwest Brewers Association, or that, our group is, is about actually defining the issues that are prevalent for the small group of brewers that are down here. So as we said, logistics and transport are one of the big ones that we all face. So how can we, how can we work together to solve problems with this? Are there opportunities for us to work together to increase export presence? You know, are we better off as a group of brewers doing things um, rather than just doing them singularly? Um, and it, it's, it's, I guess, each, each level of those associations that we're involved in has a very different focus. And I think it's really important that we still continue to, to support each of those levels because they are achieving different things. And, you know, a lot of them take a long bloody time to achieve. Government doesn't change overnight. Yeah. Um, things don't, they don't, they're not going to change legislation overnight. The Liquor Control Act of bloody 19, uh, <laughs> it feels like the 18th. <laughs> anyway, that's not going to change tomorrow. And, and there's not a huge appetite within Parliament for those things to change. So you have to, you have to push it and you have to just, you know, keep keep at it and, yeah. and hopefully one day we'll drive that change. Absolutely. That's exactly how I think about it as well. You also mentioned licensing and I know that you had just some issues last year. What is with the WA licensing? What's the situation? Why? Why is it like that? <laughs> well, the funny thing is that like liquor licensing in and of themselves are, are, are relatively easy to deal with. They're very clear in the communications and they're actually quite, like, these are the licenses. And if you get your city's approval to be in that area, then for the most part, they're going to say, okay, the issues start to come in when liquor licensing dictate that you need xyz toilets for that many people and the city says oh no you can have um, you can have unisex toilets and you only need this many um, and then there's a lot of confusion in whose jurisdiction it actually is um, so then you end up obviously just going for the, mo- the, the the greater number out of the two of them and, and moving forward and it's just that misalignment of, a, of a, a, a few different rules that causes i think a lot of the friction that you see um, and then the fact that the licenses haven't really been changed in near on 100 years um, other than the addition of a small bar license is probably indicative of where that that liquor control act is and, and perhaps the fact that it needs some kind of modernization to to better cater for the the change in needs of people because let's face it venues that are 1500 people plus aren't where a lot of craft beer is drunk and it's it's going to be those smaller venues that are that 100 to 150 person capacity and usually relatively socially benign as well so they're, they're kind of in the small small area of town where they're only open till 10 o'clock you don't end up with that raucous crowd that you get coming out of a tavern at two o'clock in the morning it's, it's a very distinctly different set of circumstances so i think there's a, there's a bit of room there for movement in terms of the actual overall legislation but again the actual dealings with licensing uh, I've, I've never had too many problems with talking or communicating with any of the people in there yeah yeah, interesting. Um, so you said you had a quick gander at the States of Brewing report. Did you notice any other states that you were like, why don't we do that? Like, they've done so well with that. What Anything jump out at you? It's a really cool report. Um, in, in all honesty, I think that the over, overarchingly from my point of view is that we've still got a long way to go as a whole country mm-hmm. in terms of overhaul of, of old rules and just making them a lot more streamlined and a lot more friendly for a new age of business and a new way of doing things which you know most most brewers that i know and most of the breweries that i work with or that we've worked with uh, are a very similar mindset where we're not trying to encourage any harm to any people we're, we're actually actively trying to be involved in our communities we want our breweries to become community hubs for for all kinds of people and all all ages and demographics we, we want to encourage you know, so the social aspect of things and, and not excess. And, and that's, I think, not really reflective in, in a lot of the prohibitive rules that are out there at the moment. They don't, they don't allow for that, yeah. I guess, that understanding that we are very social entities. Yeah, definitely. 
COVID's definitely allowed um, better communication. Like everyone's had a chance to connect a little bit more, um, be it either, you know, digitally or not so much in person here in WA because we've had <laughs> had issues with seeing people face-to-face. Yeah. <laughs> um, Especially now apparently, two years after it started. Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely opened up lines of communication that weren't there in the past um, and being able to, you know, in terms of communicating with people from other states mm-hmm. around, everyone shares the same, you know, as Hamish mentioned, everyone shares the same beliefs and you know, everyone wants to have a good time and just make fun beers and enjoy it. Um, so I think it's definitely, there's definitely a, a, you know, a similar approach with a lot of people that we were, um, that we've been lucky enough to team up with or communicate with. Absolutely. And yeah, unintended consequence of something terrible, um, but we're yeah. well, still good. We like that. We'll take the silver lining when, whenever we can get them. Now we have just, we have touched on it briefly um, throughout the conversation, but um, you guys, are you in a bit of a tourist spot, are you? Um, so now we're seeing this sort of delayed COVID not quite seeing tourists back in from interstate or internationally. How has that been uh, over the past couple of years? Is it been negligible? You not noticed? You've got a lot of lo- local support, or like has it been tricky? Has it been hard work? We're very blessed to have a really good local community, and you know a lot of um, loyal uh, locals and punters that all visit our our venue. Um, from in that sense, it's been great. I think. WA has uh, punters in WA definitely have a you know a local um, approach and definitely want to support local breweries. So we've been pretty blessed in that sense that despite our state being shut off from the rest of Australia tourist wise for quite a while, um, we've still had a lot of support uh, for our you know from our local uh, sand gropers here in WA, which is great. <laughs> um, but now that the waters are open, we'll start to see. Um, I'm sure we'll start to see a bit more, you know, international and um, interstate tourism come back. Um, but it definitely hasn't, you know, had a, a negative effect on how we operate. If anything, we've kind of been blessed by being kind of COVID-free for those couple of years. Everyone was very. Um, our, our tap house has gone from strength to strength from that. Um, having people come down to visit, even if it if you couldn't go anywhere outside of WA. It meant that a lot of people were coming to the southwest as well. So oh, we're pretty blessed in that sense. Oh, lovely. Oh, that is nice as well. We like that. And let's talk about your fifth birthday then. Um, big things planned. What are you planning? What's the situation? What's going on? That probably ties in with being able to leave the state as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the way it all timed up, we weren't able to have... So we've, we've basically organised to have five, um, being our fifth birthday, we've brewed five beers mm-hmm. and five collaborations, um, as you mentioned earlier on in the piece, with uh, interstate and international breweries. So unfortunately, they weren't able to come over for the beers themselves, but we were lucky enough to um, leave the state to go over to the Mountain Culture Rap Beer Festival. Oh, and um, some of the some of the breweries involved were there, so we actually got to meet face-to-face and <gasps> hang out and share some beers, oh, which was great. Real? Yeah, first time in so long, it seems. It's oh, so long, nice to long overdue. Yeah, so nice to see everything, like, slowly coming back to normal and people meeting each other in real life, and, oh, it's just wonderful. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we have we basically got those beers to launch. Um, so April 22nd, we're having a, a, kind of a weekend-long party um, at our tap house in Bustleton. Um, so we've, we've got that planned, and then we'll we'll have a, the following weekend have our fifth birthday, so we'll celebrate in the uh, metro area as well. But, um, yeah, it's been, I mean, I can only speak on behalf of myself being able to kind of uh, team up with the breweries involved. But, the, yeah, it's been absolutely amazing. And I guess being able to share, as we touched on earlier, being able to share um, different um, approaches and and being able to communicate on what's happening in different states outside of beer as well has been great. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, how did you do the collaborating with them? Like, was that very much still a Zoom situation or did you manage to get over to every single one of them? Or how, how did you do the recipe development bit? Uh, that A lot of convoluted email chains. <laughs> oh God, I've been on so many of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, thankfully the... Yeah, uh, thankfully a lot of the naming part of it was able to happen over over calls, which is good because that's where mm-hmm. the amount of like single line email replies that come back <laughs> from those. But, um, so yeah, a lot of lot of video calls, um, and then kind of like we try to make it as collaborative as possible. So LinkedIn, um, obviously Ross um, Terlicker, head brewer with the head brewers from the respective breweries, and I mean most of that was done at that level anyway, but. Um, then also linking up Ethan, our designer, with the designers from the the, um, the breweries involved as well to make it 
as collaborative as possible. Um, it is a different, I mean, they were all done um, digitally or not in person. So trying to make it as, um, as fun and engaging as possible for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, rather than us just being like, this is the beer we're brewing. Are you happy to chuck your name on it? Because <laughs> that's that's not that's not how we like that's not how we like to operate. And we like to make sure we have a good time when we're doing it in person. So that's awesome. trying to reflect that in the digital sense, yeah. definitely. Yeah, very cool. That mo. And how do you know the people against the grain already? Did you know them before? Or were you just like, oh, we'll take a pump. We like them. Let's see if we can um, do something. That came about through a friend of ours who has a who um, manages a liquor store in in kind of southern reaches of Perth in um, Celebrations Bell Divers. So mm-hmm. he, uh, James, a friend of ours, was um, lucky enough to go over there, and he actually teamed up with them. So he linked us up with Jerry from Against the Grain and had a few video chats and back and forth. And he's a great guy, like really, really fun. And yeah, it all came about through that. I guess it was just more of a it was more of a slow burn. We had something planned for quite a while, and then COVID hit, um, and that stopped in its tracks so mm-hmm. we thought we may as well pick it up for the fifth birthday and have a good time with it so yeah it that's been um the time difference is probably the hardest part whereas it's a morning over there and he's he's drink, sharing beers with us at eight in the morning where it's eight o'clock at night over here so uh, um that's definitely been probably the time difference has been the hardest thing but apart from that it's been it's been awesome amazing jerry's great value oh brilliant and seeing as it has it is nearly your fifth birthday officially um let's talk about some of your favorite beers well here's some of your favorite oh. beers the guys have done at uh rocky ridge come on guys you gotta you've got a oh, favorite someone, now i asked Hamish this the other day someone's asked us like recently the same question yeah. um on a, like an instagram q a and yeah. i was like man we've re- been a lot of beers especially when you go over that five-year period um i guess recently we're um hamish and ross and hamish can jump in on this but we uh, they did, they had a sleepover at the brewery and brewed a 24-hour boil <laughs> barley one which has been probably one of the most adventurous beers we've wow. released today yeah it was one of my favorites just in terms of the sheer experimentation that was involved so it was 100 percent base pale malt there was no um no adjuncts no um no spec malt added at all so it was gone from basically the color of a pilsner to this beautiful deep black borderline ruby red um, color over that 24-hour boil and just so many flavors were opened up that we didn't expect and could never have predicted I guess Um, so the experimentation that's definitely one of the funnest parts of it Um, I gotta say though like one of my favorite beers is blueberry sour that we did uh, two years ago Um, so only five percent but it was just so barrel aged for I think that one spent about nine months in barrels um, had a beautiful blend of bread going through it so it just had this right amount of tart acidity in it to balance out the blueberries beautifully and it was just that that was right up there with one of my favorite beers that we've ever brewed oh fantastic I guess we're very blessed in the sense that we can experiment in a lot of different areas being predominantly a production brewery out on a farm we're not mm-hmm. I guess we we can and we have 25 taps at the tap house. So we, we can play around with a lot of different styles mm-hmm. from traditional beers all the way through to weird and wacky yeah. experimental yeah, and farmhouse. So yeah, there's a, it's a fairly big um, spectrum of beer styles to pick from for favorites. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Go on, Ricky, you haven't oh, said yours. Yeah, Ricky, come well, on. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go, we, we were, I was, yeah, and very blessed to be able to, um, uh, release a beer for the birth of my son, which oh. was amazing. Which was another mixed culture beer, Lovely. which was um. Oh yeah, you've got to say that, haven't you? Really? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, in case in case my lovely fiance dies and uh, listens at some point. <laughs> um, so serious no, brownie was, points for you. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> it was a very special beer, though, and yeah, like a obviously, um, I'm a huge fan of you know wild ales, lambics, mixed culture beers. So this was um pretty special for me but yeah it was um blueberry cinnamon vanilla and lemon zest mm. on a kind of base saison with our, our house culture and it was a yeah, really special beer oh, I'm really watering now guys so amazing that you guys get to experiment there and your brewers get to um sort of show their skills off but what do the locals like do they like a little something interesting or uh, are they very like staunch pilsnery lagery type drinkers like what do they like no, we I mean, get a bit of everything, really. Thankfully, as I mentioned, we've got a fair bit of tap space to play around with. So we definitely like to um, have a bunch of lagers on tap at any given time. Um, that also, and that, that also keeps the brewers happy as well, <laughs> which is great. And, and ourselves, like I love, I love the fact that we, um, we can have a lot of lager on tap, which I know it's been said for a long time, but the lager kind of 
Renaissance seems to be in full swing. Oh, finally, yes. I don't know. Maybe, maybe now. <laughs> Have you I'm been waiting with bated breath for that for a while? Oh, I just maybe I'm part of the hive mind. Maybe like I've just become like part of the part of that group of people that oh, thinks yes. it's happening. But but it definitely seems like there's a lot of people um, that are happy to kind of drink different, um, kind of more traditional styles, which is great. But I, I mean, we yeah, we're pretty blessed in the sense that our, I mean, IPAs, um, hoppy beer, still definitely um, kind of reign supreme for the mm-hmm. for the average kind of craft beer punter but yeah. our locals are great they like to drink we drink everything we don't have any yeah i like that that says yeah, i think no, that says a lot about the market as well definitely like we, i mean we, we so we produced 80 unique beers last year so we, we've, we've done wow. a lot of different styles a lot of different experiments some are definitely more successful than others and some are, are, are less so but for the most part they're all received with enthusiasm and it's going yeah i want to try that at the very least and you know there's definitely some beers that we've brewed that are, are very much a, a one glass kind of beer um, we did a peach and habanero beer recently which is Ooh. delicious but you know it's it's a one beer you know, because yeah. it does really build on you and you get that it's beautiful spiciness at the back end, but I'd challenge anyone to go more than one in a row. Um, so, you know, there's this that, is coming there's, from a man that douses everything in hot sauce as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. That sounds great. I'm so keen for that. Lovely. Righto. Uh, well, what's, I guess, what's next then? Well, you've, you've got your big fifth birthday coming up, you've got a bunch of beers coming out, expansions underway, sustainability is underway. What, what can you do next? Where are you going? For myself, personally, and Hamish and I have chatted about it for quite a while, but we want to kind of um, have a, a get-together and a, our own kind of our own festival would be great. Um, COVID obviously had put limitations in place in that sense, but we're, we're hoping to get that up and running later in the year, which would be great. Fantastic. Yeah, also we've got, you know, fest, beer festivals in general seem to be coming back into full force so we'll, we'll focus a bit of attention on that um make sure that we ha- we keep our kind of keep having a good time basically that's the that's the main aim <laughs> yeah <I> love it. <laughs> keep, keep enjoying what we're doing <laughs> sounds pretty good hamish you got anything to add on your front uh just keep going with the projects we've got underway um hopefully start to wrap a few more of those up and then probably start looking at the bigger picture over the next five years and, and try and get a feel for where where things are going and you know uh, we're off to Craft Brewers Conference in May, so it'll be interesting to see what's going on over in the US and get a feel for any new trends that are happening. Uh, and just you know, mainly getting out of the, the little bubble that we've been in here in WA for the last two years to see what's going on in the rest of the world and actually uh, try some of it. Yeah, I know it's weird, isn't it? It's like, oh, we're emerging our heads from the sound for a bit now, and we go talk to other people and and see what they're up to it it's such a strange feeling after being so in the bubble for so long um let alone australia wide we've been stuck in our little state bubbles as well so um yeah crazy times but it it sounds like it's going to go really well for you guys um are you going to the wa brewers conference yeah we'll be at the wa brewers conference as well right Um, well i've sent matt there this year so uh you'll There'll be a oh, Bruce, cool. Bruce News representative, I believe. Um, but wonderful. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on and chatting. We we went wide there. We cast the net wide, um, but really appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you so much. Um, and congratulations getting to fifth birthday. That's an amazing milestone and achievement. And, uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Thank Thanks you very much. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com.